You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and today we are going to be talking about some of the pitfalls of leadership in family business, and I am delighted to be joined in person, face-to-face today, with Caroline um, Gourlay, who is a business psychologist. Good morning. Good morning. And yeah, so perhaps the best way to start is to tell our audience a little bit about you, what you do how you came to be doing what you're doing, and then we can uh, we can get into the uh, detail. Um, well, thanks, Ross. Uh, so I've been a, a business psychologist for over 20 years now, um, and like a lot of psychologists, business psychologists, my um, early work was all in huge corporations and the public sector because that seems to be the space where the kind of work that I do um has got some traction. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kind of things that I do are um, selecting people for senior jobs. So understanding what what makes a person tick, whether the job is too big for them, that kind of thing, doing like in-depth profiling mm-hmm. of people for jobs and developing leaders and working with teams where things have got a bit sticky. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I got introduced to the family business sector by accident. Okay. Um, another psychologist that I knew had been working for quite some time with um, a, a reasonably large family business, and she was retiring. And she asked me if I would like to step into her shoes and take that that on. Um, and it, it was my introduction to family business, but it was also my introduction to owner-managed business. Mm-hmm. And there are various other ways that I've got involved in that sector. I used to work for um, uh, a consultancy that did management due diligence for private equity firms. So we would assess whole management teams wow. prior to a, um, an investment to uh-huh. see, you know, will they deliver your investment? Is there anything missing? What are the risks here? And I find the the mid-sized business sector so much more interesting mm. than big corporates right. because there's just so much more um, quirkiness. You know, things are built in the <laughs> image of a founder. They're not, you know, corporations get to be all very faceless and the yes. same. Um, whereas in the in the owner-managed business sector, you have really interesting sort of dynamics and things that, that, that come up. And, and the thing that I think is really sad is that there are so few psychologists working in this area. Because mm. if you think there's one place where business and psychology come together, it's a family business. And there are few of us who who work in this space. And, yeah. and that so um, I'm quite proud to to work in that in this arena. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And you say um, you are involved in. Um, helping to sort of pick leaders in, in corporates. So, so presumably that's an external process and you get people coming in and, and assessing that. Um, do you find that's the same in that the kind of SME market that you were talk, talking about where, where you have that external process or is it much more an internal process where there's people within the business that... Um, it varies. So I've been involved in organisations where it, it, the, the family business I got involved in in the first place, I still work with, my role there was to prepare the son and daughter of the founder to oh, take over. Okay. And they are now the joint managing directors. And I act as a kind of external sounding board strategic support uh-huh. to the business. Um, uh uh, in non-family businesses, but in that owner-managed sector, sometimes I've been involved in um, finding somebody to come in at a senior level, and some of the candidates might be from within the business, and they might they might have external people they're looking at as well. Uh-huh. Um, I, I worked with a, 
uh, an organisation recently. Actually, it wasn't it wasn't exactly owner managed because it's actually a charity. Okay. But this woman had it had been her life's work. She had founded this organisation wow. and she was retiring and handing over her baby. Wow. And so getting that right was really important. Yeah, absolutely. And they'd got down to two candidates, uh-huh. one of whom was internal and one was external. Mm. And what I did was in-depth psychological profiles of both of those and didn't say, we'll take this one. I, what I was able to say was, okay, this is what this one's like, and this one is what this one's like. Uh-huh. What's going to fit best? Neither of them is perfect because you never get somebody who is perfect. Uh-huh. There will always be some upside, some downside, some risk. So it's a question of well, what can you live with? You know, what's going to work best yeah. here? And, and that one was really close. There were uh-huh. chalk and cheese candidates. Um, but, it, you know, and that kind of whole thing about, well, which way should, should the, the leadership of the organisation be yeah. going? It's really important. And then went with the internal guy in the end. Right. But that was, that was in no way a done deal. So, mm. yes, it's interesting. And now I'm, I'm in touch with him because he has taken over now and I'm, I'm looking to maybe do some leadership coaching with him okay. to help him step up into that role. Okay, so I guess a good starting point when we're looking at, at something like leadership is, is to perhaps try and define what leadership is or what good leadership is and um, what are your views on well, what that means i think there there is an awful lot in about leadership and you can get into this whole thing about you know should you model yourself on churchill and what can you learn from richard branson yeah. i don't find that that's particularly helpful for most people mm-hmm. because you know you're, if you're running a, a family business that makes pies in in somerset what Churchill would do is of very little <laughs> relevance, and indeed yeah. what Branson would do. Um, I, I work with a leadership model that I find incredibly practical that's about well, what's the job? Okay. What, what do leaders actually do? What, what are the things you should be putting your attention on oh. as a leader? Okay. What should your focus be? And that... I find resonates with with a lot of people. Oh. So so it's a I honestly it's a job description right for, for and so am I right in thinking that's task driven rather than say attributes rather than say he he or she would be a um, good negotiator or always certain job applications <clears throat> IT skills necessary yes. stuff like yeah. that that's. That's attributes rather than tasks. So this is task-based. It's it's task-based. It's saying these are the tasks of leadership. Uh But interestingly, you can then map attributes onto it because one of the things that's really implicit in this model is the different tasks need different attributes. And no one's going to be good at all of it. Yeah. Might be okay at all of it, but you can't be good at all of it because you will have different it takes different characteristics mm-hmm. to be really good at each of the, the tasks. Okay. And so if we can give sort of a brief overview of what the model is, it's mm. it's a Venn diagram, isn't it? It's, it is indeed um, a Venn diagram. I, I should say this isn't my model. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, it's it's uh, owned by a consultancy in Bristol called Edgecombe Consulting. I work quite closely with them, and I've worked with the guy who developed the model, mm-hmm. Dr. David Pendleton. Um and a lot of people who work in the family business arena will be familiar with the three circle model. Yes. I know that, that one of your podcasts on that. Uh-huh. It looks like that. It's uh-huh. three circles. It's the same shape. It's just what's in the circles is different. Okay. Um, so if, if you if you have a pen and you want to write, if you want to draw it out, it is three overlapping circles. One at the bo- top, two at the bottom, uh-huh. and they represent three different domains where leadership is required. The top one is strategic, Uh the bottom right is uh, interpersonal, and the bottom left is operational. And you could think of it as like head, heart, hands. Yes, okay, Um, yeah, that makes sense. And each of those domains has got a task which is purely within that domain. So, for example, in the strategic domain, there is a task called setting strategic direction. Uh Where are we going? Um, And then where they overlap, there are also tasks. So, for example, between setting strategic between the strategic bit and the um interpersonal bit is a task called creating alignment which is fancy speak for get all your ducks in a row yes get everybody on board Uh um so so there are um seven tasks that sit in the model and anyone who's very wise with maths will see 
I, there are eight tasks in the model. One of them's not on there. Okay. So one of them sits over the entire model, and that's coping with pressure. Because okay. that's the first thing you've got to do mm -hmm. as a leader is to cope with pressure. Yeah. And if we start there, then how, how do how do we cope with pressure? Because I think, again, that there's some misconceptions out there that if you are, the, the, I'm putting this in, in, in air commas, um, the leader of the business, you need to be the first person in, you need to be the last person out, you need to be the person that's working the hardest, you need to you know, set that example that, you know, I, in my view, is out, outdated now. That doesn't lend itself to coping with pressure because you're potentially heaping that pressure on yourself. So what, what can we be doing to kind of move away from that idea? Um, I think there are a number of uh, points in that. One of the things... Coping with pressure to some extent about coping with workload, which is what you're talking about. It's also coping with those difficult situations, you know, that you think you're going to lose a client, you know, that all those sorts of situations. Um, and the leader is somebody who, you know, in the end, that's where the buck stops. Mm -hmm. If you think about the coping with workload bit and you see a leader as a role model and one of the tasks of leadership is leading and being a role model is part uh -huh. of that, then actually role modeling, you have to be in by seven and you don't leave till eight uh -huh. in the evening, um, yeah. uh, is not good role modeling. Uh -huh. You know, that role modeling, that idea of the only way you get on here or this is what we expect uh, and we don't care about your work-life balance is not helpful. And a lot of people don't get that they're a role model, uh -huh. that other people are looking up to them. So, you know, you want to think about what example are you setting? Um, you also, part of coping with pressure is to look after your own health. Mm. And so not, you know, working excessive hours, working yourself into an early grave is not coping with pressure. The other part of coping with pressure is handling your emotions effectively mm. and appropriately. And that might be, it depends on which emotions you are most prone to. So for some people, that's how do I handle my anxiety? that, oh, God, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Yes. You know? For some people, it's managing their frustration and their anger. You know, yeah. can I keep my temper in when somebody's got something wrong? So whatever it is for you that you need to manage, I think it is part of your job as a manager, to, uh, as a leader, to learn to manage your emotions effectively. Uh -huh. And that goes in any organization. This yeah. model is not, it's not specific to family business. Uh -huh. They use it in huge corporations. Right. Um, I use it uh, with with David Pendleton. I've used it at um, Oxford University Business School where I do some coaching and, mm -hmm. and it's quite widely accepted that it seems to fit in a lot of situations. Yeah. And this bit about coping with pressure is, is universal. However, in family businesses, there are different emotional yes. drivers for things. And in some ways, coping with pressure can be easier because you might feel you've got that support network around you that you know, you're all in it together. And on the other hand, the consequences of falling out are so much more catastrophic yeah. in a leadership team that's related that it brings its own, um, its own risks yeah. and its own, its own challenges. And, and that's without, you know, that's before you get into the deeply psychological stuff of, you know, and you you had a new bike for Christmas and mine was second hand and yes. you know the, the old childhood resentments and you were always the favorite that also crop up in family businesses and I think have been part of previous podcasts yes yeah they have and um what I find in interesting about the model is is when you describe um some of the pitfalls mm. that, that come with um leadership in general again this is not exclusive to no. family business but it is present within mm -hmm. family businesses which is, is why we're talking about it um, linking it to uh, the model, what are, what are sort of the, I guess, one of the common pitfalls mm. around leadership that, that you're seeing in your work? Well, one of the things that I think is not uncommon in the owner-managed business sector in general and, and definitely crops up in family business is what I call bottom-up leadership. Mm -hmm. And that's, if you, if you take that model and you think about the bottom half of it is the operational and the relationship, the uh -huh. interpersonal side. That people who work in family businesses are often um, very good at what they do or very passionate about a particular 
product. You know, we've made this cider for two generations, yeah. whatever it is. That's that's what they do and they know how to do it well. And being in a family business, relationships are inevitably important. Um, the relationships within the business. But I also find that family businesses often have that ethos where all relationships are important. And the people who work for them who are not in the business become like family and okay. loyalty is important. So what you end up with is people who are um, all leading from the bottom of the diagram. Right. So they're thinking about relationships, they're putting a lot of their leadership attention on making sure that the team's okay, that they remember people's birthdays, all that sort of thing. The operational side of it is going well. They know about how to do what they do well, how to perfect it. They're, they're thinking about results. And they, <clears throat> there's a risk, and obviously this doesn't apply to all family business, but there is a risk that no one's looking at the strategic side of the uh -huh. business. And um, that forward thinking, where are we going yes. with this? And the risk then, excuse me, I'm going to cough. <clears throat> the risk is that you end up with the most efficient, the best, the friendliest DVD rental shop chain. <laughs> and then you're wiped out by Netflix uh -huh. because nobody's got their eye on yes. what's happening in five years, 10 years. Uh -huh. you know, at the moment, anybody who is in any business at all that has a uh, importing or exporting element to it, if they're not thinking, how's Brexit going to affect us, uh -huh. then they're, they're not leading effectively yeah. because that strategic bit of, oh my God, what are the opportunities and threats in this very uncertain world? Uh -huh. um, that, that really sh is where a lot of people's focus should be. Yeah. But for a lot of people, it, if you're not used to doing that long-term yes. thinking, you know, you, you, you might trip over right. it before you, before yeah. you get to that. that it's like, like you were saying at the, the outset, really, in terms of you, you're not necessarily going to find somebody who's good at everything within no. that model. And so and if, if not even not necessarily, you're not, you're not going to yes. find someone who's good at all. So th this reminds me of, um, we did a podcast and it must have been uh, about a year ago with um, Sean Still from PwC looking at the, the family business um, survey mm -hmm. that, that PwC conduct. And one of the um, key findings in their study last year was that the missing middle, the kind of 10 to 15 year plan, the strategic mm -hmm. element of it seemed to be something that was missing. And that's obviously something that you're seeing as well. Mm. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you're a family business, and you think, actually, that sounds a bit like me. I'm, I'm passionate about what I do. I'm great at the operational stuff. I'm great with the people. We haven't got that long-term vision. How, how do you plug that gap? Is it a case of just saying, we need to bring somebody in to do that? It, I, it, it's a bit horses for courses. So it may be that there is somebody in your family or in your leadership team who perhaps isn't family um, who has the potential to do that and has never been let off the leash. Uh -huh. So you know, it might be worth looking to see, is there someone there who actually has got the appetite for it and the, and the ability to do it? It depends a bit on the size of the business. Mm. You know, if there's four of you around a kitchen table, this is rather different from yes. you know, you've got a mature business and you employ 300 people. Um, if, you, um, if you decide that actually within the organisation there isn't that, that scope, then I think you... You do want to be looking outside, and it might be a non-exec. Um, it might be some kind of strategic consultancy. Uh, it, you know, it could be anything, really. Oh. And the, the strategic one is the, uh, the most obvious gap. And, and it's interesting that PwC have picked up on that. Oh. But if you think about all of these leadership tasks, um, what I find can happen in any organization, and is slightly more common in a family business, is what I call lopsided leadership. Okay. And, and bottom-up leadership is like the most common form of lopsided leadership. Yes. And it's to do with overplaying some of the tasks. Okay. And you're likely to overplay some of the tasks if you're all quite similar. Uh -huh. So, um, and, and of course, if you're in a family, you're likely to be quite similar. Yeah. So you might all be good at one bit of it. And one of the analogies I've used here is a bit like... Um, if you have imagine a football team mm -hmm. and the leader of the football team is the goalie. Yeah. And they say, well, the thing is, football's all about saving goals. Mm -hmm. And I've recruited another 10. And we are world-class yeah. footballers because we can all save goals. Mm -hmm. 
in that context, it sounds utterly ludicrous. Yeah, you just wouldn't do it. You just wouldn't do it. But because people don't think about what is the job description for leadership, they miss out the tasks that, that, that don't come naturally to them. Uh-huh. And they, they start to describe the way that they lead as their leadership style uh-huh. when actually, and, they, and people do have a leadership style, I, I get that, but actually that makes it sound legitimate to not do the other bits. Uh-huh. And it isn't. You right. can't, you know, it's fine if you don't do them, so long as someone else is, mm. which makes leadership more of a team game yeah. than an individual endeavor. Uh-huh. Um, so, for example, if everyone in your family is the kind of person who um, color codes their sock drawers, you know, uh-huh. you're naturally organized people, yeah. your books are in alphabetical order, you know, all that sort of thing. You might get really good at the task of leading, which is uh, which sits between the strategic domain and the operational domain, it's planning uh-huh. and organising. Yep. You know, let's put in systems and processes and procedures and plans and all of that. Um, and if you're really good at it, and you're all really good at it, you could create some kind of civil service style bureaucracy. Uh-huh. And, and actually, what you've got is like eight sandwich shops. You yeah. know, it's it's not. It's not necessary. Uh-huh. Whereas I, I would never go into business with my brother. I love my brother dearly. But, you know, he and I, I admire anyone who goes into business with their relatives. When I look at mine, I think, <laughs> I love you and no. No, we're, yes. not, we're, not, we're not creating a joint venture here. But if we did, my brother and I are both last-minute people. Okay. We, we lack self-discipline, uh-huh. I'm afraid. And um, we would start to define leadership, I think, if we were in a business together as heroically averting a crisis. <laughs> and it would be heroically averting a crisis that we wouldn't have got into had we been better organised. Yes. So, and that would be our leadership style. It's mm. like, you know, look at us, we, we swing into action. That's, that's just bad leading, leadership mm. because no one's doing the planning and organising. But what, what's really interesting there is that obviously you're aware of the model and the task, and so you yeah. can identify that in yourselves. Yes. There's going to be people listening to this now who will be going, oh, that's me. Mm. I need a deadline. Mm. I need some, mm. I need it to be last minute to focus yeah. me and to, yeah, to yeah. do all of that. Uh, and it's a bit like, um, we won't get political, but it's a bit like a political view in that, to my mind, you, you can't see it from another perspective necessarily. So if, if you say... I need that deadline, I need that pressure mm. in order to, to operate. You can't necessarily understand how there's people out there who get things done really organized oh, yeah, and yeah, really strategic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm married to one, which has helped. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he, if, if you, it, I have these, so, you, you know, people in your family, in their family businesses listening to this, who might be thinking, oh, God, that's me. Just think about who is the person in the organization mm. who isn't like that. So, for example, if I, if my husband and I kind of say, like, at the moment, we are planning to redecorate the lounge. Okay. And I say, well, I'll go off and look at curtain fabric, you know. And he says, well, I'll, I'll get a quote on whatever. He will, before I know what's happened, have got the quote. Mm-hmm. And he'll say to me, you, you didn't do you didn't look at the curtain from you know you didn't yes. do the bit you can and I just go, I haven't done it yet <laughs> you know, the yet is really well. um, there are people who he, basically he cannot bear having something on his to do list that could, you could tick off mm. so he'll do it whereas I can't bear doing things before they need doing I have to have that pressure of a deadline yeah. so we you know when when that isn't tension sometimes that's tension sometimes it actually works very well you know we can work very well together on uh-huh. it. The guy who developed this model, he had a personality like mine. Right. He was not someone who uh, was good with, you know, he needs a deadline, not good with, with self-discipline. Uh-huh. And he, he's moved on now, but he was the chief executive of Edgecombe, the consultancy that owns this model. And he's a, he's a big, powerful man, you know, um, who, you know, who knows his status in the world and you kind of don't mess with. And... But he knew that he was not good at planning and organising. Uh-huh. His PA was quite junior in the organisation compared with him. Right. But he knew that he could not do this bit. So he delegated that to her. Uh-huh. And she would say to him, on Wednesday, you have to sit in that room and write a report 
with no phone uh-huh. and you can't come out till you've finished. <laughs> and he let her do that. Yeah. Because otherwise the wheels fell off the bus. Uh-huh. So the fact that there was a big status difference yeah. didn't matter. He needed her to organise him. Uh-huh. So she did. Fantastic. And that again sort of links back to what we were saying earlier about um, the leader needing to be the person that in their own mind takes as much on as they mm. possibly can. I think what we're seeing is, a, or what we're saying here is there's a shift towards identifying what you're perhaps not good at, and yes. what your strength, where your strengths don't lie, mm. and plugging that gap. Yes. Because that's going to be for the benefit of the, the business. business. Yes. And in, in, if you imagine that Venn diagram, the bit right in the middle, they call leading. Uh-huh. And there is a lot that gets packed into that little gap in the middle of a Venn diagram. But leading is about... Um, it's about being a role model. It's about you know, defining and living the values of the organization. It's about acting ethically, all of that sort of stuff. But it's also about, in the moment, standing back and saying, where should we put our effort and attention now? Uh-huh. And that might be different from where we should put it three months ago. Yeah. But right now, where should we put our effort and attention? So if you imagine a business where results are down, the obvious thing to do is to look in that operational domain and where the the pure task is delivering results and go right let's push harder Uh if you're quite draconian let's whip harder to get results but if actually what's wrong is that all your systems are wrong or morale is terrible or you've got the wrong team organization or the wrong people in the team or you're going in the wrong direction or you're all going in different directions, and pushing harder is going to make no difference. So that bit where you stand back and say, where should we put our attention now, is a very important leadership Mm. task. And if the place where you should be putting your attention is not the bit that you're good at, get someone else to do it. Mm. And one of the drawbacks that I see in family businesses is their sort of super leader concept. Yes. And I think we're all familiar with the concept of the leader who won't let go. Mm-hmm. But that's to do with succession planning. That's to do with, you know, it's coming to the end and I'll have to let the others get involved at some mm-hmm. point. I'm thinking of at any stage in a business. So if you imagine um, someone who is mid-career, you know, you might be the MD of your family business and you're 45. Mm-hmm. And you, you've got intentions to be in that business for another 15, 20 25 years, some family businesses, 40 years, you might think you're going to go out, you know, horizontal with your boots on. That's that's how some people leave. You're not thinking about succession planning. Mm. But let's suppose your kids have got into this. Supposing you've got a 20-something new graduate who's come into the business Uh and is um, involved with you. If you identify that that your son or daughter is better than you at putting together a strategic plan or creating systems or putting an influencing plan together to work out how do we get all our stakeholders on board, which might involve, you know, might be customers, suppliers, Mm -hmm. the staff, people outside the business, local community, you need to build something. If, If your son or daughter is better at that bit... Let them lead that. Mm. Not because it's good for them, it's good for their development. Yeah. It's because they're better at it than you are, mm. and that's better for the business. Yes. So you have to be humble enough to kind of go, do you know, not my area, I'll hand that bit yeah. over. I'm still holding the reins, but lightly. And yes. they're leading that bit because we will get a better outcome mm. as a leadership team. And that's a strength as a leader rather Hell than a yes. weakness, isn't it? Because it, 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 Again, the traditional old school model is I have to do everything, a super mm. leader of. Yeah. Everything is my domain. I look after mm. it. If it's not good, then so be it. I'm the leader. Whereas what we're saying is if you can identify where you're least strong, mm. I don't want to say weakness as such, but least strong, and, and the task that it, within that model that you can't do – Plugging that is a strength. That is leadership. That's what yes. we're saying, isn't it? I would say plugging that is a responsibility mm. because you will not be good at all of it. There, I've, I have assessed leaders who are earning megabuck salaries at the top of enormous household name organisations. Mm. 
who are incredibly inspiring people. I'll tell you, I'll tell you about one of them, okay? Just, just to illustrate this. I, I interviewed a guy who is, I can only describe it as world-class, absolutely world-class, at turning around failing manufacturing plants. Okay. He was amazing. Um, he is quite tough. He's quite, you know, he makes it really clear when he goes into a place, you will up your game. And people have, you know, when he's got a reputation now that when, when he goes in, People think, oh, God, I hadn't realised it was so bad that mm. they've got him in. Oh, okay. He's, you know, he's just astonishing. He will set the um, expectations. This is how we're going to do it. He's also one of the warmest, nicest people I have ever come across. Right. People confide in him. People would come and cry on his shoulder. Okay. He would talk to anyone. He's got no airs and graces. He would talk to anybody from the cleaner to the... Uh, manufacturing plant director. Uh-huh. Um, people rally to his cause. You know, he got astonishing. I, I had information about him. I had personality profiles, all that sort of thing, and 360 feedback. And I've never seen 360 feedback like it, right. it from trade union leaders. You know, from people who thought they might lose their jobs because of the, the work that he was going to oh. do. People loved him. He was an amazing, inspiring leader. He wasn't a strategist. Right. You know, you want someone to come in and turn around a manufacturing plant. Yep. He is world class. I still wouldn't get him to do the strategy uh-huh. for a whole manufacturing company. Uh-huh. It's not his thing. No. It's the, it's the bottom of the, the model. He uh-huh. does the operational and he does the interpersonal and he does it brilliantly. Uh-huh. But he's still not a strategist. No. And the the point is, he's bought in to do those yes. bottom bits of the model. Yes, he he's is. He's not bought in to go right. We know you're not good at this top bit, but give it your best shot. You know, let's have no. a go and see <clears throat> see how far we get. Mm. It, it is you are bought in to mm. do this part of a leadership task, yep. and the rest is is going to be down to other people, individuals, yes. or, or groups yeah. of people. And that is, yeah. again, effective and leadership. In the same organisation, I met someone who was the most astonishing strategist. Right. Um, he was at a very, very senior level. Some of the people at his level, some of the people below his level, in, had 2,000 people reporting to him. Mm-hmm. He had about eight. Right. You know, because he was in this strategy arena. Mm-hmm. And he was fantastic at thinking about the real long term. They were in a technology sector so you have to think about where is technology going what is what is the world going to need not even what are our customers going to need what's the world going to need in 20 25 years how are we positioning ourselves against that and he could talk to other incredibly smart people about that and get them fired up about it and then he'd forget all about it (laughs) not i mean wouldn't the big picture he wouldn't forget about at all but he'd come out of his office about three months later and think what about that because mm. he had no discipline at all yeah. didn't do the detail forgot about you know, he couldn't create it into a project mm. he just did the top of the model right. now if you put him in to turn around a manufacturing plant he'd fail right you know he just that's just not his thing mm. um it, you want him, someone to work out the strategy for a multinational high-tech company he's your man yeah Fantastic. So we're seeing this in, in big business. We're seeing, yeah. We're, we're seeing it in, um, to, to, would it be fair to say to a lesser extent in the sort of SME market, the, the mid-sized market? Or is it harder to um, identify that that's the gap or is it harder to get people to come in and fill that gap? Um, it, you know, it's true that if you run a chain of restaurants in Shepton Mallet, mm-hmm. you probably don't have to have a 50-year strategy. I, yes. get, I get that. But nonetheless, you do have to think about what what are the strategic mm-hmm. threats and so on. Every organization, no matter how small, has to think about all of these tasks. Mm-hmm. They are part of leading yeah. any organization. I'm an organization of one, uh-huh. and I have to think about these tasks. And my total area that I'm not good at is the operational area. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm fine at doing the work for my customers, my clients, but if I think about managing my business, if I think about me as a businesswoman, not as a psychologist, mm-hmm. the bit where I think, 
how much money am I earning this month? Uh-huh. What have I got in my pipeline? I am rubbish at that. <laughs> it's a, a skill I'm trying to develop. Uh-huh. And there are disciplines in there that I'm not good at. I've got a virtual PA who keeps me on track. Right. So I've outsourced that bit in some ways by because I, I know that that is my weak spot. Uh-huh. So even in a business of one, you have to think about these yeah. things. Um, and I'm, it, I can do strategic thinking I, I tend to forget to do uh-huh. it. Um, actually, one of the things that I used to think that that the that whole the task in the strategic domain was strategic thinking. Uh-huh. Are you good at big picture thinking? And David, who developed the model, said to me, "No, the task is setting strategic direction." And the pitfall that people like me fall into is, I'm I'm quite good at identifying strategic op- opportunities. Uh-huh. What I'm absolutely hopeless at is narrowing them down and right. going, right, well, I'll go for that one yes. then. Rather, you know, so it's like, oh, I, I could do a bit of that. Because mm. like, I don't want to rule anything out. And, yeah. you know, there may be people who recognize themselves in that. Yes. Setting strategic direction is not identifying all of the opportunities. Mm. It's saying, right, well, we'll focus our efforts yeah. on this. It's you can't do all of it. It's making a decision almost. Isn't it's, it? it is. Absolutely. It's this making is what a decision. we're going to yes. do. And then you live, live or die by that decision. Yes. But it's a decision. It's a decision. Rather yes. than sit there and think, yeah. look, look at everything. This, yeah. We've got a great future ahead of us because look at all these opportunities. Yes. And they're not going for any of them. Indeed. And one of the... Um, one of the pitfalls that uh, a lot of businesses fall into, and family businesses particularly, is um, there is a, a fear of conflict. Uh-huh. Okay, it's very common it, in in all leadership teams is a fear of conflict, uh-huh. um, and and so an avoidance of conflict. And people think, well, that's good then, isn't it? You know, obviously you don't want to avoid conflict. Why would you? Everyone's getting on fine. Everyone's getting on fine. Why would you not? Why, you know, why would you want to have conflict? The thing is, if you're avoiding conflict, you're probably avoiding some important things. Uh-huh. And one of the ways that um, people avoid conflict is vagueness. Okay. So um, sometimes vagueness comes out of lack of strategic thinking. So you have a kind of idea of we want to grow the business. Uh-huh. You're not. You're probably not going to fall out over we want to grow the business. Yeah. Most people can can get their heads around that. Uh-huh. How specific are you going to make that? Yeah. If you get, we want to grow the business by this much by this time, a lot of the time people can still rally around that. You know, they might think, oh, that's a bit overambitious or whatever. They, but it, it doesn't, it probably doesn't matter mm. too much if you don't meet it, whatever. Once you get to, right, we want to grow the business by diversifying into different products or services. And someone says, well, no, I, I thought we wanted to grow the business by broadening our geography and offering Mm. the same products and services but somewhere else now you've got the scope to fall out Uh and deliberate well not deliberate but vagueness is a very common uh pitfall that Mm. you get in you get in a lot of business situations but i think it is a particular risk for family business because the consequences of falling out are so great Uh um and you know, I've heard family business leaders say things like, well, we all want the same thing. Oh. And you, yeah, well, what is it? Oh, we want to grow the business. Yeah. You know, and, and there's just this kind of, well, let's waffle around the edges of it. And if you have not ruled some things out, then you don't have clarity. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's a key test. Mm. What have we ruled out? And if you don't know what you've ruled out, I would say you're still vague. Yes. You, you need to have got further in your uh-huh. discussion. Completely um, agree. Well, one of the things, um, the more common things that I come across is the term we want to, to double the business. We double oh, the size yes, of du- the business. I, what do you say about doubling? I don't know. Doubling's... Double what? <laughs> double yes. the number of people, double the mm. turnover, double the your profits, profit. Yes. Double your costs. <laughs> you know, which, yeah. which is yeah. it? And, and when, you, when you sort of challenge that and mm. say, well, what are you looking to double? They go, oh, well, we, we just said we were going to double, double the it. size of the business. Yeah. And it's that, that yeah. that's creeping in there. It's that Indeed. vagueness. And, yes. and, and as you say, the, the, the consequences of falling out means that you, you might not feel necessarily comfortable in saying, what does that mean? Yeah. What, why are we doubling yeah. the size? I don't want to, to double the mm. size. Or why mm. not triple the size of it? Mm. What, what's mm. the, the or I'm quite comfortable with it, the size it is. I just like to maintain it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and so I guess some of the things that that we can be suggesting to businesses that they put in place in order to avoid that vagueness, um, we've spoken on, on many different podcast episodes about creating a safe space where mm. you, you are a team, mm. you're a family, you are working towards ultimately the same goal, legacy, mm. whatever you want to, to call that. Um, but, but that's important for these types of discussions, isn't it? That oh, safe yeah. space yeah, of yeah. It being able to voice your opinion and yes. not feel as if you're going to be shot down by yes. somebody. Yes, um, absolutely. And if we think, if we go back to coping with pressure, mm. one of the pressures of being a family business leader, particularly if you're you know, that super leader, the, the, the one at the top, the one yeah. who is currently holding the reins, or you founded it, is coping with the pressure of people disagreeing with you. Mm. People who take disres- uh, disagreement as disrespect, mm-hmm. that, that's not a strong leader. No. That's, that's someone who, isn't, who cannot cope with the discomfort of someone having a different view. Mm. And if you shut down dissent, um, I would say that you are not managing yourself or your business well. Mm. You, know, you, you need to get to a point where you can hear different views. Yeah. Um, you know, my way or the highway, I, I see as a sign of a very weak leader. Mm. That can be quite hard, though, can't it? Because if we are talking about the founder of a business, mm. it, it's like, uh, it's maybe not quite the right analogy, but it's like, oh, look at how cute my baby is. And you go, eh, yeah, it's not that cute. And you go, what? And it's, <clears throat> yes. there, there's no um, objectivity there. It no. is entirely uh, an emotional thing. Mm. And... You, having that inability or reluctance to hear some of the necessary truths mm. can lead to more problems further down the mm. line. Absolutely. And I think, it's, I think it is great to be proud of the things you have done well. But the other side is to be able to look at the things and think, Judge, I could have done that better. Mm. And the, if we think about this in terms of leading into the future, it may be that you've done everything fabulously. Mm. You know, you may have built a really good business of which you can be rightly proud. And it still might need to be different in the future because yes. the world's changed. Absolutely. You the know? pace of change as well yeah. just, just seems to be quicker and quicker. Yeah. And if your intention is to grow it, then the way that you lead a business that's 20 of you, mm-hmm is different from the way you lead a business that's three of you. The way that you lead a business that's 500 of you is very different again. So there are different rules and systems and procedures and things that have to be put in place. You know, when... So let's, for example, if you've got one... If you you do all the sales yourself, you know exactly what you're doing. Uh When you get to the stage where you've employed a salesperson, you can keep track of that salesperson Uh because there's one salesperson. And you have a certain way of reporting. And that's it. When you've got a sales director and underneath that sales director, you've got half a dozen salespeople, the, the metrics and the systems that you need in place to keep track of how well is the business doing is going to be very, very different from when it was just the one yeah. person you, you were keeping an eye on. Yeah. But if you insist on, well, no, this is what the report looks like. I'm, I expect it to look like this. Mm-hmm. And we do it on an Excel spreadsheet. You, you know, the business is going to fall apart. You can't you keep running on this, mm. this stuff that was appropriate at that, that size. So some of this is about, does, you know, have, have your systems and procedures and your, your ways of managing people similarly. You know, the ways of managing processes needs to mm-hmm. keep pace. Your ways of managing people need to keep pace because, you know, if there's half a dozen of you and you know everyone by name, you have a very different relationship with them from if you are the chairman. Let's say you've got to that retirement stage and you've handed uh-huh. over, you're the chairman, and 2,000 people work for you. <laughs> they will see you differently from the ones that you pulled in, you know, were your mates when you set it up Absolutely, when you were 27. Yeah. You know, they, they, they will look at you in a different way. You've mm. got a different status. You might feel the same, but you, you're not seen in the same mm. way. So everything is different. And that's before you bring in the fact that Actually, the way people expect to work is different. Yes. You know, the workplace culture is yep. changing. Millennials want something different. Uh-huh. So, you know, there, there, is, there is change and, and 
happen? Of course, there is technology. So mm. everything changes. And if you keep thinking, well, 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 I'm sorry, but in my day, this is how we did it. Mm-hmm. Things have changed. Yeah. You know, your day is... Absolutely. Is, Couldn't agree in more. There. And, and we hear um, it's something we speak about. We think it's one of the uh, real benefits of um, family firms is the the common vision, the values uh, mm. um, of a family and the vision of what that mm. looks like in the future. If if a family business is listening to this and thinking, okay, I, I identify with some of those um, shortfalls mm. in terms of either my leadership mm. or somebody in the, the business's leadership, would it be a good starting point to say, what's our vision? And then looking at what that would look like on that, model i what needs to be in place from a strategic point of view what needs to be in place for an operational mm. point of view and an interpersonal point of view for our vision to mm. be a reality mm. and then using that to help guide what they then do next well if you if you think about it in terms of um stepping into the center of the model which is the leading bit uh-huh. and looking at where should we put our attention right now then actually one of the things I sometimes do with people is when I'm coaching them is to say, let's stand in that space and say, how is your business doing in each of these areas right now? Uh-huh. So do you have a vision? Is it shared? Do you know where you're all going? I'm thinking that I might try and develop this into a tool actually and some, some kind of diagnostic. Yeah. Like, this, is a, this is one of my strategic it's objectives strategic at the thinking, moment. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, there a, is, is there something here? Um, that... What is it, you know, do, do we have a vision? What's morale like? How, you know, is everybody going in the same direction? Oh. What are our systems look like? And it may be that the place you should be putting your attention is your vision. Uh-huh. But actually, if you're hemorrhaging cash, then no, it isn't. Uh-huh. You, should be, you should be looking yeah. at why are we hemorrhaging cash? Uh-huh. You know, you, you, it's what is the place that right now demands most of your attention? Uh-huh. And I... I done this sometimes with, with leadership teams and looked at, you know, the, the model is called the primary colours model. So each of those tasks is a different colour. And I've done it with colour coordinated the bits of card and on, okay, so in the strategic area, that seems, you know, I'm working with one organisation and there's a whole thing about, are we expanding into America? Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a big question for them. But they've got another bit, which you could kind of put under team working really, which is that they're in different offices and they can't quite work out what sort of space they should be in and okay. how, and that's affecting the dynamics. And so which is a more important question for them at the moment? Yeah. And I kind of left it to, you know, we've done this in a workshop sort of space to look at, well, what, where do you want to spend your time? Which, which of these is more important for you to look at? Uh-huh. Um, and actually I'm seeing them in January to talk about offices. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, it, it's, it, it's a question of what's priority for the business uh-huh. and then that can get overlapped with oh god what are we prepared to talk about mm. because that's also that can also be a thing that yep. for a lot of organizations not just um family businesses but it's a big question of family businesses yeah and and you're you, know, you one of the things that was implicit in your question about um you know family businesses and a shared vision and everything how do we know it's shared? Yeah. You know, how do you how do you even know the values are shared? Oh. Uh, so you know that that thing around where, where does the next generation want to take it is is a a question to be discussed. So um, how that comes back to that sort of safe oh. safe space. Yeah. Something I, I've done with um, one organisation again in this instance wasn't a family business, but it was a. A team that was in, um, things had got quite fractious in this team. And it was to do with the fact that they had a big investment decision to make. Right. And um, there were two two places they could have invested. And, you know, without going into details that would identify them in any way, it was kind of around, do we do something that's like a huge marketing thing? Or do we do something that's around product? Uh-huh. And they could only do one. Right. And everyone knew that the chief executive was very attached to the product. So they kind of went, well, there's no point discussing it, is it? Uh-huh. it's going to be the chief executive. Now, I was coaching 
the chief exec. And he said, that, that, that isn't what's going on to me. I want to do what's best for the organization. Okay. So whatever that decision is, I'm not, you know, I'm not wedded. That's my preference, but that's not uh-huh. how I'm going to make that decision. Yeah. So what we did was uh, <clears throat> we ran a workshop. I ran a workshop with them where we didn't talk about the decision. We talked about how will you make the decision? Right, what are okay. the criteria you will use uh-huh. to make that decision? It's a bit like, you know, if you're going to go and buy a house, mm. you, you don't just go out and start looking vaguely. <laughs> yeah. You think, all right, how many bedrooms do we need? Where do we need it to be? And what are our trade-offs? You know, uh-huh. what, how much can we afford? Would we pay extra to be near that school? You know, all of that, all yeah. of that stuff. And that's what they worked through was okay. what, will, what are the things we will take account of and what will we not take account oh. of? And one of the things they decided they would not take account of is how do we feel about it. Okay. We will just manage our feelings afterwards. Yep. Some, some of us are going to be disappointed, whatever, because mm. we've got attachment to both of these things. You know, the marketing people had worked up a lot of stuff on the marketing side of what they would do and they were really excited about that. And, you know, um, but we will look at... How, what are the criteria that we're going to put in place oh. here? And what information do we need to actually work out where we are mm. on those criteria? It, which, actually, if I think about it now, this is this is like the Labour Party's position on Brexit. Right. If it passes these tests, yeah. we'll go with it, it's that uh-huh. sort of thing. Um, so that they were then able to discuss it more neutrally. They mm. could go back without me and say, well, actually, we... Um, we said we'd look at this. So here, here it is. And, and it, it takes some of the heat mm. out of it. It also means that when a decision is made, everyone understands the criteria against yes. what's been made, which makes yeah. it a fair decision. Mm. Rather than it being something that our sole criteria for making this decision is what the CEO wants. Yeah. That, that could end up with an unfair decision because mm. the reason that the... Um, chief exec has brought a team in is to help make better decisions mm. around that if, if they're being an effective leader. So removing that means that the decision that would be made is fair. And yes, people might go, well, it's not what I would prefer mm. to do, but at least mm. I understand why it is. Yeah. And that's something that we, we often find, particularly in family firms, is that there isn't always this fair process yeah. whereby... Um, decisions can be made and explained in a fair mm. way that means mm. that you've, as you say, trying to remove mm. some of that emotion yeah. from it. And sometimes it's the person at the top. Sometimes it's the family, but there are other senior people in the organisation who are not family and they just get that feeling that, look, it all got resolved around the Sunday lunch yeah. table and I wasn't there. Yeah. yeah, doesn't matter what I think yeah. because, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other pitfalls that, that you... Um, speak of um and this is linked to a blog which we'll, we'll yeah. link up in, in in the show notes um is it's my particular favorite is don't worry you'll pick it up directorships mm. um mm. And, and this again i think we possibly see more in family firms the, than I, we do in in uh, other yeah. private businesses yes yeah um, you might get it in a startup mm. but it, this is absolutely a family business pitfall mm. and uh, it's to do with fitting the business around the family yeah and what I've noticed, and I'm sure you'll have come across this too, is nobody ever appoints an unqualified finance director. Yes. Ever. <laughs> um, the money is too important. Yeah. But everything else is up for grabs. Mm-hmm. So, so you get things like, oh, you did some cracking leaflets. You know, that brochure was lovely. We'll make you the marketing director. Yeah. You know, or you're good with people. You can be HR director. Be HR, yeah. How hard can it be? Uh-huh. Well, it depends on the size of the business. I mean, it, it, again, four of you around the kitchen table, yeah. you don't need a marketing director. That's fine. But if you've got to the stage where you, your business is big enough to need a marketing director, then you might want one who knows something about marketing. Uh-huh. You, know, you want People work for a long time to become chartered members of the Institute of um, personnel and development yes. you know that's that is a big deal yeah and they know what they're doing yeah and kind of going oh look you know Hayley she's, she's lovely yeah. she gets on with everybody that doesn't make her an HR director <laughs> yeah, exactly um you know being quite good with PowerPoint doesn't mm. make you a marketing director yes. so you know you need to think to what extent can you fit the 
people into the business oh. that uh, haven't got the skills yeah. to be there. And what you know, one of the ways to think about it is, if we were not a family business and I advertised this job, and my son or daughter's CV came in, how big's the gap? Mm. Now, I'm not saying don't appoint that, but well, what support do they need to do it properly? Yeah. Uh, because if you're big enough to have those kind of director roles, then you're a reasonable sized business. Yes. And you will have staff who are not part of your family unless mm-hmm. you've got an enormous family. Yes. And how are they going to be respected? Exactly. You know, how will you, you uh, know, you're again, setting them up to fail, really. Uh, that, that was going to be my point. In, 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 we've mentioned fairness. Um, it's not fair necessarily on that individual no. to say you're now the HR director. Mm. And if we're saying um, the overarching um, requirement in, in the leadership model is coping with pressure, the pressure of thinking, mm. I don't actually know what I'm doing yeah. here, is, is huge. Yeah. And so, like you say, identifying whether that person's CV would make it past the initial sort of mm. glance is not saying don't do it, but it mm. is is saying if you're going to do it, at least acknowledge that there's these gaps mm-hmm. and how do we fill those gaps and what needs to be put in place in order to, to make that person mm. the best person at, at yeah. that job, not just because, as you say, they're good with people, therefore yeah. HR, because the, that's not fair. No. And what I, what I find with next-generation uh, people, it, it, I was going to say coming into business, sometimes people who've been there a long time, they want people to believe that they're there on merit. Mm. And they kind of know they're, they're not yeah. there solely on merit. They might be good at it, but they they know they were given the position mm-hmm. and they desperately want to prove that they weren't just given the position. Yep. And so if the gap's enormous, it, it, that's really, really uncomfortable yeah. and, and isn't fair. As you say, you take the example of um, somebody who's come out of, uh, I don't know, let's take an extreme example, that they've, they've failed, that they've just passed their maths GCSE or A-level <laughs> or whatever the equivalent yeah. is these days. And you wouldn't then say to that person, well done, you've got that. You're now the group FD. Yeah, frankly, if they, even if they've got an A star in their A-level maths, yes. you wouldn't go, you're good with numbers, yeah. you're making the FD. No, <laughs> but it's it's an it's an obvious one when you it's an obvious do it. one, yeah. Whereas with something yeah. like, oh, they're good with they they know all about this social yeah. media luck. Let's yeah, oh, that's, oh yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, I don't understand social media. Yeah. We'll we'll get a young person. We'll get a young person in yeah. to do it, and it's it's still not fair on that individual. Although it might be something that they're passionate about mm, and can grow into exactly. But mm. but then understanding and appreciating the skills that are needed mm. again is is good effective leadership to say this yeah. is a path we're going to send you on to make yeah. you as good at what you do as possible. Yeah, and that that again I think mm. it, it complements if, if that's the right word or goes hand in hand with the conflict avoidance. Yes, is. I don't want to say to my son or daughter, you're not good enough. Mm. Let's put them in, see how they get on and, and mm. hope for the best. And I don't want that conflict yeah. of, you know, having to have that difficult mm. conversation because mm. um, it's a difficult conversation and the mm. consequences are pretty, yeah. uh, pretty severe. And the son or daughter doesn't always want to say, actually, that's what I want. Yeah. You know, I... I I'd rather train to be the finance director uh-huh. um, or whatever it is. You yeah. know? Um, and there's another one that, that I highlight in the blog, which is um, kind of fits with this a bit. It's the, um, the all aboard leadership team. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's where you, um, again, it's about fitting the business around the family. So if you imagine a family business owner with four kids uh-huh. and three of them have been shadowing people in the business uh-huh. and they're all and, and they've you know, been doing it properly and they're all fired up to be um to take over from the finance director the sales director and the ops director uh-huh. say and they've been in the business for years and they've got the right qualifications you know and that's all pucker and you went and had that pesky fourth child. <laughs> what do you do with Adam? Yeah. Let's call it, you know, the, the little one. And mum says, well, he's got a, 
have his place. Yeah. It's only fair. Yeah. He's got to have his place. And he go, oh, he's really good with computers. Oh. Should we make him the IT director? <laughs> yeah. Do you need an IT director? Mm. Because if you don't, you're going to, you know, your leadership team should be talking about the most important things in your business yeah. at your leadership meetings. You're going to have IT on your agenda mm. with the same level of importance as finance and sales. Mm. Um, you might find yourself spending more money on IT than you need. You yeah. might create these incredible web, <coughs> web apps and whatever that you don't need because mm. you've got an IT director. Yeah. Or whatever it is, a social media guru, whatever. Yes. You know, is there a place in the business for this person? Um, yeah. Think about having any kids you're going to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, you, if you look at the strategic direction and say, this is what we're going to need to be in place in, in yeah. 15 or 20 years' time, you can then plan the family around what mm. roles you need mm. to, to fill. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the way, that, to, that's do the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> So in terms of, we've covered a, a lot of the, the pitfalls mm. that, that can be apparent in, in leadership. And so mm. this isn't exclusive to no, the family, no we're means, not singling no. them out. But, but in terms of, of things we see in, in our day-to-day -day yeah. work. And there, there are particular there are particular issues for family business mm. um, that, that pull out in certain ways, so yeah. which is what I've been trying to highlight here. Uh, so, so with that in mind, what, what can we be doing to help um, families in, in particular to avoid these? Um, well, I think if we look at those last two, I think there's something around families being honest with themselves and family business advisors having those quite you know, difficult conversations mm. about to what extent are you bending the company to fit the family. Okay. And I, I, I think we we have to accept that it, it's going to happen to some extent because, because it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, because that's how family businesses operate and there's, there's compromise in there. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that compromise. I think there's some parameters to think about, about how far do you take that, oh. that compromise. So that's the first bit. The second bit is that if we go back to the ones that are related to the model specifically, the model... I find it's just such a useful framework for talking about some of this stuff and giving giving a scope to a conversation to, to think about, well, okay, how are we doing in that strategic uh. bit? Do do we know if you if you think about the bit between strategy and and uh, people, you know, do we know that we're all going in the same direction? And not just us, the leadership team, or not just us the family. Uh -huh. Is there someone in the family who's not in the business, go back to the other three-circle yeah. model, who's not on board with this, who might get in the way? Um. You know, the question, if this is our vision, who's going to stop us doing that? Uh -huh. And the who might be in the business, might be in the family, might be none of those, or only one of them. So yeah. what do the staff think of all this? Um, what do other stakeholders you know, do we need planning permission? How, how difficult is that going to be? Those sorts of, you know, can start to think about those questions. Uh -huh. When you think about relationships, what's the state of our relationships with each other, but with other people? Is there anybody that we are, we haven't spoken to in a while? You know, it's not that there's anything wrong with the relationship, but God, actually, it's worth me thinking about getting back in touch with that supplier who mm. I haven't spoken to in a while, or that customer who's ticking along nicely, but ooh, we haven't visited him in six months. Yeah. You know, those, those just those kind of questions. What's the state of our relationships? What's the team looking like? All of the teams in the organisation. What's the senior team look like? Are the right people in there? That's part, back to the how much are we stretching the business? Uh -huh. So using it as a way of thinking about how are we doing? Uh -huh. And then also using it to think about Who's leading on this? Yep. Who, you right. know, how are our results and who should we, you know, who should we get in to, to look at our systems or mm -hmm. whatever? Who, who, who should we give responsibility to for yeah. that? Fantastic. And just finally, if you could give one tip to family businesses out there, all shapes, all sizes. Oh, <laughs> oh one nice size fits all um, What would your one tip be? Um, 
be prepared to be honest enough to get clarity about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Brilliant. That's great. And lastly, how can our audience find out more about you and the model and what we've been talking about today? Okay, so um, I have a website which is just called carolinegourlet.co.uk. Um, I have to confess the website is somewhat out of date. Uh -huh. I had it developed in 2011. I, okay. It's not a strategic priority for me to revamp it. More useful probably is I have a blog. There's a link to it on the website. Uh -huh. um, I have some articles on there. I've got articles about the model. I've got articles uh, about this. Uh, I've got a blog about this, uh, the pitfalls of family business leadership. I've got some others that are about some of the deeper stuff that, that around the sort of family systems um, theory that I know uh -huh. you've, you've covered before. Yeah. So people might find those useful. Uh -huh. um, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, and I have an unusual enough name that I'm easy to spot. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm always up for a chat. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much indeed for your time today. We're going to link um, everything we've spoken to uh, about, sorry, in the show notes. So people, if, if they're listening, want to find out more, we can put the links in there. Um, and uh, thank you very much indeed for, uh, for your insights today. You're very welcome. I very much enjoyed it. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fambizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.